You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to be here with you today. So uh, what we've been doing in this series started last week, I'm in, is really talking about and challenging, are you in any way connected to the church outside of just show up on a Sunday morning. And the phrase I used last week is, uh, circles are better than rows. It's really hard to love somebody when you just sit next to them for a few minutes, say hi, worship next to them, notice how good their voice sounds compared to yours, and then move on about your day, back to your family, and back to a meal. But if we're gonna really be the church the way that God has called us to be, it's gonna take really loving each other, which means committing our lives to other people. And therein lies the hard part, right? That big four-letter word, commitment, and how scary it is. And yes, I can count, even though I've proved that wrong a few times or two. It's scary to think about doing that, but do you have somebody in your life who will speak the truth to you? Because at the end of the day, that's really what we all desperately need, and it's hard on a Sunday morning to get that. Why? Because we show up and we say to each other, how are you today? And we all say the same thing. We all say, fine or good or I'm okay. And you really aren't necessarily fine or good or okay. And part of it is you don't want to be vulnerable or transparent with people on a Sunday morning. And so we all need a place where it's safe to be vulnerable, where it's safe to get it out there. We all need people who will speak the truth to us. Do you have that? Do you have that? So God has blessed me with many people in my life who are more than willing to speak the truth to me. Sometimes through a text message or a phone call, occasionally through an email, but I tell you what, the people who are closest to me who are willing to tell me what I don't wanna hear but I desperately wanna hear are the people that I love to be around the most. As a pastor, I speak almost weekly uh, in front of all of you, but also throughout the week, conferences or retreats or devotions or things that I teach, I speak a lot. So I make a lot of mistakes, often with the words I use or the stories I tell or the details in them. I have actually stood on stage and told you something wrong about the Bible. Nothing heretical, nothing the elders have ever had to call me out on, nothing you need to go home and lose sleep about, but things where I'll say something and somebody will say, you know, pastor, that's actually not what that text says. And I go look it up and I go, oh, they were wrong and I said it in front of everybody. I have had that happen, but my worst mistake ever came when I was a youth pastor. And to really understand the importance of this and what this has to do with truth, I gotta set it up a little. So I'm about to share with you my most embarrassing moment as a public speaker. We had been planning for months to do an invitation call. We had about 120 high schoolers. It was my church in Colorado. We had all these kids started coming and visit, and we were connecting with them and loving on them, and I was so excited. We'd been building up through a three-week series. The fourth week was gonna be this big invitation, and I couldn't wait. We'd talked about it. We'd strategized it. We planned the entire worship set around it. We had the perfect song at the end of the set to come up. We had it all set, and I told everybody, this is the phrase, band, when I say this, Jesus wants to throw you a party. 
You guys come up to the stage. You start padding behind me. I'll take the next two minutes to tell everybody what we want to do. That phrase is the home run phrase. Jesus wants to throw you a party. Now, the sermon was based out of Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells this crazy awesome story about two brothers who live in their father's house. The youngest brother, we call him the prodigal son, you've maybe heard of that. The youngest brother demands that the father give him his inheritance and he goes off to a foreign country and he wastes everything that the father gives him. When he's desperate and poor and has nothing left, he's literally eating the pods that the pigs eat. He decides, you know what, I'll go home, I'll repent, I'll tell my father I'm sorry and maybe, just maybe, he'll let me be a servant in his house. But when he shows up, he doesn't find an angry father. When he shows up, he doesn't find a father who wants to punish him. Instead, he shows up and finds a father who loved him all along. Luke 15 is all about sinners coming home. But it's not just about the younger brother. It's about the older brother too. And now in the family of God, it takes all of us, those who are rule followers and those of us who are rule breakers coming together underneath the Father's love and provision and protection. And I preached the snot out of this sermon. I'm telling you, I threw down. Now there's a pastor, and this pastor tells a true story about a time when he was preaching in Hawaii. I've actually told this story here before. And he couldn't sleep because he's on Hawaii time, and it's like 2 a.m. in a bar, And he literally went and he's sipping a cup of coffee and in walks these ladies of the night. And they start talking and he's kind of eavesdropping and listening in and one of them just got done working their shift and said, I'm gonna go home, tomorrow's my birthday. And when she left the bar, he looks at the bartender and he says, we're gonna throw a party for her. Her name was Agnes. We're gonna throw a party for Agnes. And the bartender said, what are you talking about? And he said, we're gonna throw the biggest party. We're gonna get cake and balloons. And they did. And they decorated the whole bar. And when she came in off her shift, they threw her a party. Just like in Luke 15, the father threw the son a party. And now you understand the line, Jesus wants to throw you a party. So I preached this sermon and I'm getting louder and louder and I'm getting more and more passionate and more and more animated. And in my mind, I'm gonna throw it down. And these 20 or 30 kids who've never given their lives to Jesus are all gonna stand up weeping with tears in their eyes and go, yes, Lord, receive me. And it's time for me to say my line. And I say, and Jesus wants to throw you a prostitute. And the worst part is, I don't know I said it. I think I said what I was supposed to say. But I could tell in that moment that something fell flat. People weren't weeping. There was a small chuckle in the room. And now I'm standing in front of 120 teenagers and I'm starting to get angry, indignant, How dare they play around in a moment like this? I have prayed, we have worked, a month of planning has gone into it. I finally had enough because the small kind of mumbling in the room turned into a a slightly louder mumble in the room. I finally just stopped. It's invitation time. What is so funny? And I'm angry. I'm about to call out whoever it is that's messing around like right now. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have that come to Jesus conversation about if you love God, you wouldn't do this. And one of them had the audacity to say, you just said Jesus wants to throw you a prostitute. <laughs> to which the look of shock on my face, if they had a video camera, that I went, no, I didn't. And then the entire room collectively went, yes, you did. 
I don't know how to recover from that. I literally just called the band up and I said, well, let's just sing. And if anybody wants to give their life to Jesus, just fine. And I walked off stage. And I told my wife that story. And she said, you know, Matt, maybe God was trying to humble you. And she was right. I was so convinced in that moment that I was going to lead so many people to Jesus. And somewhere in my heart, there's just this twinge of arrogance, of pride. Instead of just lifting up Jesus, there was something in my heart that was like, yeah. But I'm so thankful that God put that woman in my life. Because even though, trust me, when she first said it, I wasn't real happy, all right? But that was a me problem. That was not a her problem. Because the reality is, we all need somebody in our life who's gonna speak the truth to us. Everybody needs somebody in our life who will speak the truth. The worst thing every business owner in this room can have is people who won't tell them the truth. Did you know that? The failure of many leaders in this room today, in your field, whatever your field is, you don't know what you need to know until it's too late. And some of us have created environments where people don't feel safe to tell us. But we all desperately need to know it. Parents, even though your kids do not get to run the house, you're the parent, you're the leader. Do you know sometimes you need that feedback? You need to know. But even bigger than that, did you know that as a person who loves God, there are things about you that you may have no clue that hurt or offend those around you? And you might be absolutely oblivious. It wasn't your intention. It wasn't what you meant. Your heart was in the right place. But did you know, did you know that it actually can happen? Proverbs 27 verse 6 says this, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Now, I hope your enemies aren't walking around kissing you because that's just weird. But what the proverb actually means is those who love you the most are gonna be willing to tell you what you desperately need to hear. In fact, you probably shouldn't trust people who always tell you how amazing you are. Because let's be honest, you know what they don't know, and if they knew what you knew, they wouldn't think you were awesome all the time. We all need people around us willing to tell us what we need to know. That's one of the ways that I define friend. If you're willing to speak the truth to me and love, that's how I know that I can trust you. That doesn't mean you're ever gonna do it in a way that is shameful. You're never gonna embarrass me in front of other people, but you're not gonna be afraid to tell me the hard truths. And we can disagree about whether you're right or not, but the fact that you're willing to come to me and tell me what I need to hear shows me that you love me. But man, I tell you, we don't live in that world most of us surround ourselves with people who tell us what we want to hear. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, man, it is full of people who come alongside us and tell us and affirm to us exactly what we want to hear. And consequently, some of us stay stuck in destructive and unhealthy patterns for a really long time. But everybody, everybody, Need somebody 
who has the wisdom to guide them. See, it's not enough just to speak the truth. Because see, the reality for you and me is lots of people have lots of opinions about your life, right? And lots of people will not be afraid to share with you truth if you let them in. But what you need is not just somebody willing to speak the truth, but somebody who actually has the wisdom to share with you something helpful. There is a huge difference between an opinion and somebody who actually has something to bring to your life. Am I making sense here? This past week, we took a few days and uh, we joined my, my in-laws came up and actually they'll be here, I think, in the next service today. <coughs> and uh, we went down to Nashville, Indiana. It was just beautiful. The trees weren't quite changing colors yet. We caught some of it and we got this house that was in the middle of nowhere, no Wi-Fi, no cell reception, hardly at all. It was horribly amazing. And um, one day I went out on the back deck that was just kind of sitting on this hill and overlooking these trees, and I'm, and I'm watching these leaves fall to the ground. And I'm watching these squirrels and birds scurry around everywhere, and I'm just eating it up, and I'm picking up the book of Hebrews, and I'm just reading my Bible, and I'm enjoying it. And for just like 10 minutes, all of the kids, five grandkids, all boys, they're inside probably killing each other, but they're inside killing each other. And I'm having a moment with God, and it was beautiful, and it was glorious, and I'm just like, God, thank you so much for this free moment right now. My wife came out and sat with me. I'm like, this is amazing. I don't know when the last time the two of us got to sit and do anything, just two of us together, and then my mother-in-law came out, and all of a sudden, my, my me time starts to slowly evaporate. <laughs> and the room, or the deck starts to fill up, and I look over, and my, um, my nephew he pulls out his knife, a little pocket knife, and he grabs a piece of wood. And it wasn't this one. He just starts kind of whittling it away. He's cutting off the bark, and he's sharpening it up. And then one of my little boys came out. He's like, what are you doing? He's the oldest of the grandkids. Mine is like second to the youngest, the one who came out. And he's like, what are you doing? Are you making a knife? Are you making a sword? Like, what are you making? He's like, no, I'm just kind of having fun with this thing. And I had just finished my message and I'm looking at him and I'm thinking to myself, this is the problem with most of us. Many of us surround ourselves with the people who have the ability to cut away things in our life. Because a knife has the ability to do that for a piece of wood, right? But what good is this piece of wood for sharpening the knife? Very little. I suppose if you got going fast enough and hot enough, you could create enough friction and maybe sharpen the blade a little bit. But the reality is, most of us, most of us need somebody who is more like us in order to help us become more like who God intends for us to be. That's why Solomon also writes in Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. He can't say, as iron sharpens knife, so one person sharpens another. It doesn't work that way. The only way iron can sharpen irons, both have to be made of similar things. This goes to the biblical concept of what we call uh, unequally yoked or yoked together equally. It's, it's a biblical concept that says we always need relationships with people outside the faith because we're trying to share with them all that God has poured in us. We have to do that. But the people that we go to to become sharper, the people that we go to to grow, the people that we go to to get wisdom and understanding about who God is and what he's trying to do in us, we go to other believers. 
We go to people who are like us or a little further down the road from us and we ask them to help us, to pour into us, to encourage us, to challenge us. And if you find yourself surrounded in this kind of relationship, there's gonna be a gap in your life. If you're the knife, you're gonna always be sharpening other people. But you know what happens to knives who always sharpen other people? Sooner or later, they become dull. Do you know what happens if you're a piece of wood who's always getting people cutting away at you? What happens sooner or later? There's nothing left. This is why iron has to sharpen iron. This is why you need people in your life who can love you, encourage you, challenge you, pour into you, speak the truth into you, and you speak the truth into them. And as both of you continue to pursue Christ, you get closer to each other. We all desperately need that. I'm honored to say that we have many, many groups here in our church Last week alone, we had 13 people sign up and say, I want to join a group. We had three leaders, 16 total people step up and say, I'm in. One message, I've heard enough, I want to be in. If that's you sitting here today, we're not done yet. I've got a lot more to say to you today. But if that's you, if you're sitting there going, I need other people in my life. I need to be in a circle and not just a row. We want to encourage you. You could actually do this right now. You could literally pull out your cell phone right now. What? The pastor told us, yes, don't open fantasy football. This isn't good on the internet time. But you could literally send a text message, groups, just text groups to 317-565-4911. 317-565-4911. And listen, I wanna stop real quick. So if you're watching at home online, we're so glad you're tuning in. You could be a, a member on vacation or something like that. You could be up you know, somewhere other state. Somehow you found out about us and listening in. You could literally at home right now, if you are only checking us out online, you could do this right here, right now, and we could connect you before you ever even make it on a Sunday morning. We could connect you with some other people. Now, I'm so glad that we have groups willing to say, join us, join us, join us, because my hope is hundreds of you will say, I'm in. Help me get connected, hundreds of you, and we're gonna need more and more group leaders to, to be birthed, to sign up, to say, I'm in, help me find a place to lead. We're gonna need groups to open up and say, look, we know each other really well, but we wanna welcome more into the fold. We're gonna need that. So we need some of you thinking about it and praying about it. But here's the other thing. Everybody needs the truth and somebody to speak it to them. Everybody needs somebody who has wisdom to guide them. But let me go a step further. So that's all true if you're visiting with us today, if you're not sure about Jesus but these next couple things I wanna say are true for every believer, specifically. Every believer needs other believers to encourage their faith. Did you know that? There's going to come a moment in your life where life happens. Sickness or death, <coughs> a sin, a temptation, something, anything. It's gonna to happen to you. And when it does happen to you, you're going to need other people to come alongside you and remind you God is good. Don't quit on him. Don't give up on this thing called faith. It is so critical for us that we surround ourselves with people willing to speak the truth to us, but speak it to us in a way that says, don't stop. And by the way, we aren't the first generation where people actually are stopping. In the book of Hebrews, chapter three, verse 12, the writer of Hebrews says this. 
See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, before we read the second part, this is so crucial to the people of that day. Depending on exactly when the book of Hebrews was written, we're not 100% sure. But I believe it was written in one of the worst, most intense persecutions that the church has ever known. And there was terrible, terrible evil things happening to the Christians of the early church. Some of them were literally being used as candles to light the fires of the Roman emperors. Literally, they would put them on a post and light a fire around them and use them as the candle for the party. Others were being stomped into small coffins and buried alive. When I say stomped, they didn't fit. They weren't big enough to hold their bodies, and they would just stomp on them until they fit into the box. And they have found some of these where people had tried to scratch their way out from inside the ground, and they died in that way. And you can imagine in that kind of environment where it's getting hard, and the pressure is coming in around you, and you're afraid. Why would I believe in this God with all of this going on to me? And yet, people are quitting and giving up. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't stop encouraging each other to keep going. Life is hard. Faith is hard. And sometimes you're going to want to quit. Which is why you need other people in your life encouraging you. God is still good, even when it hurts. God is still answering prayers even when you don't know when or how. God is still faithful even when you're faithless. Don't quit. And then he goes on, the writer says, rather encourage one another daily. In fact, as long as it is called today. Don't you love the irony in that statement? What day is today? Today? When will tomorrow be today? Tomorrow? So when tomorrow is today, when should you encourage each other? Today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin is a liar. Sin wants to tell you you can do it on your own. Sin wants to tell you you don't need anybody else. Sin wants to tell you that you can't even share with anybody else what you're afraid of in your heart. Because if you do, everybody will judge you. Nobody will accept you. You'll be condemned, cast aside. Nobody will love you. That's sin's greatest deceitfulness. Because see, once you get to there, once you're isolated and alone, your enemy who walks around like a lion, oh, he could just pounce. And there's nobody there to defend you. There's nobody there to encourage you. There's nobody there to lift you up and to help you to say, hey, while it's today, don't quit. I'm here for you. And I'm so thankful that God has surrounded me with people who love me enough to not quit on me. Because I know this is hard to imagine, but sometimes I do dumb things. And I'm not always proud of them. And many of them weren't planned. But when they happen, I'm so thankful. I don't stress about whether or not people who love me will tell me. I know they will. In fact, just this past week, um, a friend of mine, I was talking to him, and I, I won't say any of the details because I just don't think, I think it just 
keep it going, but a friend of mine communicated to me a way that I hurt him. And then in the conversation, he let me know it wasn't the first time, it was actually the second time that I did that. And I said, I'm so sorry. I literally had no idea, and I'm so sorry. And then he said, Matt, I know. I never once questioned your heart, never. That's why I never said anything. And I said, Matt, I want you to know you could always come to me. And you know what he did next? He forgave me. And you need somebody in your life willing to both tell you the truth and forgive you. Because in forgiving other people, we learn what it means to be like Jesus. Jesus tells us literally to forgive each other 70 times, seven times a day. I mess up a lot. I don't think I've quite gotten that high yet. Some of you might disagree, but what's it like to have a community of people around you willing to love you that faithfully? Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. The whole idea here is that as the message of the cross of Christ transforms your life, you're in community with other people and you are able to admonish. Do you know what it means to admonish somebody? It means to teach, to correct, to rebuke, to challenge, to sharpen each other. Now, how's that gonna happen on a Sunday morning? Don't get me wrong. I hope I do lots of admonishing, and I hope we throw lots of parties the right kind. I hope lots of good happens on a Sunday morning in your life, but we can't live the Bible passages the way that God intended us for, them, for us to live them only in this environment. So we get together, and we sing songs to each other about God. Now, I know some of you ain't never going to happen in your group. I get it. No worries. Some of you wouldn't dare sing in front of other people unless it were really loud like it is in this environment. The point, though, is the Hebrew people had no problem with that. They would bust into song, and they would just lead each other in songs. And the songs were written in such a way that they were intended to encourage each other. They were written in such a way that they reminded us of the truths of who God is. Go read the Psalms sometimes. Many of the Psalms, especially those written by David, they start sad as life is hard and struggle is real and failure has occurred. And they build to hope of reminding ourselves that God is good. God is faithful. We will see a victory if we just Keep going. They remind each other and sing to each other these songs of hope. Don't quit. God is good today. I don't know how he's going to answer it. I don't know how we're going to deal with it. But don't give up on him. I remember, uh, uh, gosh, I think it's been a, a year, year and a half now. I joined a group of people. It's called a covenant group. It's a group of pastors my last pastor at my last church retired, and in his retirement, he started doing these groups. And his goal was, he said, pastors have lonely jobs. They're constantly sharpening other people, and they need places where it's safe for them to be sharpened. It's safe for them to not be perfect and to be vulnerable and to be that way with each other. 
And so he poured into a guy for three years and that guy started another group and I joined that group and I didn't know what to expect. Like my last pastor sold me on this, gave me a great sales job. I was like, all right, I'll try this thing. The elders in that season, they wanted me to go on a sabbatical. We agreed to make this part of my sabbatical plan. So it's carried forward. And at the first retreat, the guy who's leading the retreat, he just leads in the first night, like does a Devo, plays a song. We're doing the whole spiritual song, hymn thing. Like, good, this is good. This is God, this is awesome. I have no idea what's gonna happen next. And then he spent the next hour and he shared the most embarrassing story of his life. And I kind of sat there and went, I feel really uncomfortable. I don't know this guy. And first of all, what it showed me is he's already walked through this story in his life with his last group. And now he's sharing the freedom of forgiveness with us. And I gotta tell you, if I had heard his story through the rumor mill, you know what I would have been tempted to do? I would have been tempted to judge him. If his story had been out in the public and somebody had told me what he had done, I would have been so tempted to say, and that's what's wrong with pastors today. But I'm sitting here looking at a man who had experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ He'd been forgiven by his family, had been washed clean by Jesus, and he's owning in vulnerability. He's not perfect. You know what it did to the rest of us? It made it safe for us to be not perfect, but to desperately need the one who is, and to call each other to strive after the perfection of Jesus to need it and to want it and to go after it. Now we text each other and phone call each other and email each other life's junk on a regular basis. We're praying for each other, we're lifting each other up and I'm so thankful God gave me that gift. But Many of you will take your last breath and never know it. And my heart breaks for you. What if the greatest friend that you were ever going to have was waiting to meet you but needed you to step up and say, I'm in? Now, I want to cast a quick vision as we wrap up here. So for those of you who are in life groups or are going to be signing up throughout this series, I want to share with you my vision for a life group, for a community group, men's group, women's groups, it's all the same. Imagine a group of people fully committed to grow your faith and fuel your mission. That's what I want to see. A group of people fully committed. They are all in on helping you become more like Jesus and coming alongside you to get the job done. Imagine you're in a group and somebody in that group is working on doing the foster care thing or the adoption thing. And the rest of the group makes it their mission to make sure that you accomplish your mission. Imagine being in a group where you are trying to save and restore your marriage. Imagine the rest of the group, including that other couple who's doing the adoption thing, saying our job is to come alongside you to make sure that you have the resources you need to save your marriage. Imagine a group where you are a leader somehow in the community and you are tired and you are worn out and you're ready to just quit and go find a new job. And that group makes it their mission to come alongside you, to encourage you, to push you, to become more like Jesus in that place and to never quit. 
Now imagine a group of people coming together like that and saying, I'm in. Are you? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. The writer of Hebrews says this. <coughs> Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving a meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day approaching. Now, I want you to come back with me. Go all the way back to verse 22 for a second. This whole little chunk of scripture that I just pulled out, it's got stuff before it, it's got stuff after it. It's all good. But in this little context right here, with the writer of Hebrews, and the reason I keep saying this, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some people say, you think of Paul, some say Barnabas, but we don't know. So the writer of Hebrews, he's letting us know that we stand before God with a clean conscience. The whole sprinkled thing is an Old Testament reference to when they would take the blood of an animal and they would sprinkle it in order to cleanse the various things in the temple for God. The whole idea here is when we get washed, when we go into the waters of baptism and we get baptized, washed, we get literally immersed into who God is and we come up out of that waters, we stand with a clean conscience before God because God has washed away our sin. That makes it safe for us to be in relationship with other people because I'm right here with God, then I can be right here with you. I don't have to play games, I don't have to hide, I don't have to pretend, I don't have to fake it. I can be with you, all in, nothing to hide. And that's what leads us then, go to that next slide, to verses 24 and 25. So let us consider how we can spur one another on. You know what I love about that? Everybody you're in a group with, you ought to be sitting around thinking about, how do I help them get better at what God has called them to do? Let us actually sit around and ponder the other people in our life and wonder, how could I encourage them? How could I fuel them? How could I get them to go a little further than what God is calling them to do? How could I do that? What could we do? Imagine the creativity of a group of people coming together to saying, what could I do to help you become more like Jesus? It'd be like iron, sharpening iron. And I get it. Some people create habits out of quitting. Some people create habits out of signing up and not showing up. Some people create habits out of wanting to be all in but too afraid of the vulnerability to do it. But imagine a place where that wasn't it. You know how we get there? Well, there's two problems with love. Number one is me, and number two is you. And the way that we get there is I show up and I do my part. Because at the end of the day, that's the only person that I have power over. I can't make anybody do anything. I can't make anybody want anything, but I can show up and I can do what God has called me to do. And the more I do that, the more everybody becomes more like Jesus. Which is why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, Jesus died for us so that 
whether we are alive or dead, that's what awake or asleep means, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Keep going, don't quit, and if you're not in, maybe today's the day. What we're gonna do right now is we're going to take communion and bring our offerings to the Lord. But here's what I want you to really think about, okay? So as you take this communion time, I want you to take that bread and take that juice. Please don't miss this. And realize what Jesus is trying to do is give you his body. He is literally offering himself to you. Why? So that the church could become the body of Christ. There are so many passages in the Bible, especially Paul loves to use the analogy that the church is the body of Christ. And some of us are a finger, and some of us are a leg, and some of us are a tongue, and some of us are an arm. But what arm could say to a leg, I don't need you? What finger could say to a tongue, I don't need you? When the whole body is put together and working, everything works better, easier, faster, stronger, smoother. When one part of the body is off, every other part of the body feels it. And the point of that analogy as you take this communion today is if you are not experiencing the community of the body of Christ, man, take that bread and take that juice and thank God for his faithfulness to you. But let God, let the Holy Spirit speak into you and challenge you and encourage you to get into the body of Christ and not just watch the body of Christ. And thank him. God, thank you that you're always faithful to me. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna ask that you just go ahead when I'm done praying and take communion, take it back to your seat, come to the front of the stage, kneel down, take it at the table, wherever you wanna go. You wanna find somebody in this room that you know that loves Jesus and join with them? What better Sunday to do that? Do that. Bring your offerings and put it in the black box and say, God, thank you for your faithfulness to me. Help me to be faithful to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I'm so thankful for the people you've put into my life. God, I think even this week, the hard conversations that I had to have with some of our staff, my own family, friends, loved ones. God, I'm so thankful. I feel like the richest man in the world because you have given me so many people who love me. God, I want that for these men and women here today and those at home. Life is hard sometimes. Sin is deceitful. It gets easy to get isolated and withdraw and pull away and start to believe the lies of the enemy that nobody cares, nobody will show up, nobody will be there, but they're lies, they're all lies. God, help me, help us to truly find the love that you longed to create in your church. Help us to be that love. And God, whatever is distracting us from living that, whether it's kids, sports, or calendars, or work, or money, or vacation, or toys, or things, whatever it is that's keeping us from living that kind of love, God, may we strip it off and throw it away that we might become all that you envisioned us becoming. It's today, Father. So today we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, all God's people pray.